don't believe all the crap rules they tell you. Most of it's made up. Ask for whatever you want. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, my job title is head of equitable design, which was not the job that they were hiring for. Um, mm. I have a history of like literally making up my own job. Uh, mm. and, and I think that's the thing about tech is, is it calls itself very innovative, but it's actually a very risk averse industry. Mm. Um, and so, and so one of the lessons that I've learned is that there's a lot of facades about what is possible and what you're told is possible. But if you can punch through that, hopefully nonviolently, um, that uh, if you can punch through that and just say, here's what I want. Um, I have found more often than not, you'll bring, you'll bring folks to you that want to give you that thing or share that vision. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with the another episode of The Inventive Journey, and I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's uh, built uh, several companies to uh, seven, eight-figure companies, as well as uh, built, or, uh, founded Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have a great uh, guest on the podcast, and it's Aubrey. And uh, Aubrey is uh, now working at uh, Culture Amp. And uh, as uh, that going for today, and then uh, she'll give a little bit of her backstory of working in maybe a little bit of a predominantly male or male industry and how you navigate that and investing in finance and building companies and everything else. And so with that much of an intro, welcome onto the podcast, Aubrey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super jazzed to be here. So uh, for folks who don't know who I am, uh, which would make sense for most of you. Um, I'm Aubrey. They call me the math path, uh, which is math nerd plus empath. Um, and in my day job, I'm the director of equitable design uh, at Culture Amp, which is what I think is the new hotness and what we used to call uh, diversity and inclusion. So I look after organizational justice in their, in their business operations. But in my not day job, um, I'm the founder of the math path, um, which is sort of my startup. And then I'm also a venture capitalist and, and startup advisor. So I have the incredible luck uh, to work with really, really brilliant underrepresented founders in all sort of areas of tech. So all tech, lots of math, lots of, lots of empathy and justice is, is my jam. Awesome. Well, perfect. So with all of that as kind of your intro, then as we always uh, go through, we do, uh, you know, uh, talk a bit about the journey and the steps that led, to, led up to where you're at today and what you have going on today. So with that, let's take those couple steps back and uh, tell us a little bit about kind of the journey that led up to where you're at today. Yeah, so I think um, the my story sounds like perhaps like the most classic entrepreneurial story, although I think I started as I heard this word and it resonated with me with, with intrapreneur. Um, so sort of taking this entrepreneurial spirit but doing within the context of an existing organization. And so I, um, I dropped out of Stanford a bit ago uh, as, as one sometimes does, although I certainly didn't think I ever would. Um, and I landed in tech. Hold on, that's an intro. What would, Stanford, so a lot of people work very hard to get into good schools. Stanford is obviously a good school. You know, it takes a lot of time, whether it's good grades, it's an expensive school. It's, you know, you have to take the LSAT or the ACT or the SAT, depending yeah. on where you're at, everything else. You get through, what made you decide it, after getting into Stanford, doing all that work, that you're going to drop out or go a different path? 
Yeah, so I was uh, I was uh, working on a PhD in, um, in political science. And to be totally honest, I had some really great collaborators, um, but I saw white male professors stealing ideas from black female grad students. I saw male professors who refused to advise me um, for reasons that were not related to my work. And I just kind of realized I went to help um, asked for help for professors and it didn't come. And so again, very entrepreneurial of me. I said, fine, I'll take the master's and leave. I don't perceive that the institution's gonna shift. So I'm gonna go find somewhere else. Um, to sort of do interesting stuff. Um, I've been lucky to have a lot of opportunities. So being able to do that is is absolutely a privilege. And um, let me just be real, as like a Latina woman in academia, it's rough and so I went to tech which is not like meaningfully different from a demographics point of view. <laughs> but, uh, but what was important and I think very different about tech and the reason that I've stayed, despite the fact that we're, we're still dealing with trying to get the tech industry to be the meritocracy it um, believes itself to be, is, is that I could create change. So I landed mm. at a company called Palantir Technologies at, um, so I'm Mexican-American and I'm from the Midwest and I was in California and I just looked around and I was like, where are the rest of the Mexicans? Like, we're in California. Why is, you know, why is this industry so white? Why are the meetups I'm going to? But what was really cool was, you know, when I said, here's actually where we can tackle that. We can raise the hiring bar. We can improve the experience for everybody, right? White men included. And, and you know, I have a lot of, uh, my training is in social science. I know how to do this. The difference between sort of academia and tech was tech said, cool, let's do that. <laughs> and right. so that was, that was really it. I made the jump to Atlassian and I spent five years, um, so pre-IPO through um, sort of them becoming a 4,000 uh, employee multinational business. Um, and really I founded, um, you know, and scaled their diversity and belonging practice. Mm. So um so i worked across the you know in the talent operations but also because they're a collaboration company on things like product accessibility um i even uh, built my own technical product to actually automate a lot of the analysis i was doing by hand um mm. so i have a little bit of product manager in me although it wouldn't show up in a job title and then you know after five years excited for the new thing and super super passionate about building cultures where people thrive and so Culture Amp seemed like the obvious place to go. And, you know, Australian startups are apparently my thing. Um, but yeah. So you, you, so you dropped out of Stanford and then you went to, uh, remind me the name of the company again. Uh, it's called Palantir Technologies. So big data analytics um, aggregator in, uh, not aggregator, sorry, uh, data analytics in uh, headquartered in Palo Alto. Okay. Uh, and then over to Atlassian, so enterprise sort of SaaS collaboration. And, and now we've taken a pivot to, to HR tech. And then within sort of my investments, um, on my investment thesis. Before we jump, so just to get a quick story. So Stanford, <laughs> then you went to the current company, or, or not to the current company, but to the, the company that you work with for, you say about five years, did HR? Uh, so it was, yeah, so started actually, um, when my first job in tech was in business development. Um, so I was doing like greenfield uh, government and, and corporate biz dev, uh, moved into HR when I decided I wanted to be professionally gay. Um, and then, mm -hmm. and then, um, and then, you know, Atlassian called with a really compelling offer. I just couldn't say no to. And so I had the luck to spend five years, uh, on that team before I jumped to culture amp just in February. 
So you worked with, you know, you mentioned that you built, you know, the company went from, and you know, I don't, you built or helped build or the company as you were working with it and helping to build it from scratch, build it from the ground up, so to speak, went from a thousand to 4,100 employees. Yeah. Is that right? And so how, you know, doing that, that's, you know, that's a pretty sizable company by any measure to have that many employees. So, you know, going from that, what made you decide, okay, we've, that it's grown to that. Now I'm going to jump out of that and go do something different. Yeah, I think for me, it was, it was more about, I was ready to, um, I'm very much, you know, there are people who are like builders and scalers and people who are, you know, maintainers and sort of really great at those big orgs. And I think I'm, um, I'm someone who doesn't fit into very many boxes. And as you get bigger, you tend to specialize. And I love, I'm a problem person. You know, I care about a problem and whatever skills or tools you need to throw at it, that's what I pull together. And mm. so I realized that to keep growing myself, I wanted to go back to a smaller company. I felt like we, we built something incredible at Atlassian, you know, sort of hand it off and put it in the right hands and you feel good trusting the team to carry it forward. And so going to CultureAmp for me was an opportunity to um, incorporate the lessons from Atlassian, like build it better the next time, but also because CultureAmp's products, and I've been a customer for years, I'm like the world's biggest super fan. Um, I wrote a game theory model to the CEO to like get him to hire me. It was very <laughs> absurd. Um, like, I'm so passionate about it. And I have used the products and gotten so much value out of them that the idea to get to work on the products and support their customers, like you shouldn't go into a job search with only one job you want, <laughs> but luckily it worked out. So if you were to do it, really it was, it wasn't that necessarily you were unhappy unhappy with the current job or that it wasn't going well but it was more because I and I, I tend to see that that resonates and it's interesting and I've talked about it on a couple previous episodes you know if you look at the the story of what would be Netflix and you go through and read all of that and there's a great book out there that's called that will never work and um, kind of goes through for Mark Randolph which is the original founder you often hear Hastings which is the person that everybody associates with Netflix but when Randolph started it was you know it was back, this was back in the day, many people don't maybe even remember that they sold DVD or they did DVDs in the mail, right? So before Netflix yeah. today, but when they did that, um, they kind of got to the point, so Randolph, you know, when they started out, they kind of have all generalists, right? And that's a lot of what you do when it's a startup. You have to have someone that can wear multiple hats. They can do a lot of different jobs. You know, you don't have to necessarily be an expert in one area, but you have to be good at a lot of things. And as the company grew and transitioned, then you had Randolph, which is a good CEO for when the company was growing, when it was building, having vision and that. But then they got to a point where really, they needed the specialists, and as they moved into the specialists, that's where Hastings came in, kind of took over as CEO, and Rod Randolph moved out. And so I think there is, for a lot of companies, and, you know, whether it's companies, is the, the culture, you know, it, sometimes it's necessitated by the company being that way and needing to transition from generalists to specialists. And sometimes it's the people who are saying, I like startups, I like to have that multiple hats. When I get too specialized, it kind of loses some of the fun and excitement because now you only do one thing, you can do it very well, but you don't get to do all those hats. So I think that certainly resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. And, and like, and I think one of the things, um, you know, is, is it's just about a different type of leadership. I think the other thing was I looked at, I looked at the function, I looked at the team and I just couldn't say with honesty that like I was the best possible leader to take it on the next phase of the journey. And so I think it's important, um, especially as you think about, you know, some founders aren't meant to scale their companies to 5,000, right? That's not. And so I think as a leader, part of 
part of uh, like the maturity curve and the growth is understanding when like you're no longer the right person and, and trusting that you've made the right choices along the way and put the right people in the right seats such that they can actually bring the right person in um, to be that sort of next driver. And so I think that's what it is. is like startups always embracing change, but sometimes that means change in our roles too. So and you bring up an issue, how do you, so how did you get to the, the point, you know, how do you get back in? It's hard when you're working, you know, you're so close to something and, you know, you built it, you've seen it grow, it has become expanded and a lot, you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears kind of go into that. How do you, how did you, or, you know, get to the point you're saying, I don't want to, you know, it's not necessarily, I don't want to do something, I want to do something different or I'm not the right person to drive, you know, to continue to drive the company. Cause that's a lot of times a hard thing. You're saying, Hey, I've put all this time and effort and, you know, helped to grow and, and done all these things. And now I'm stepping away. And, you know, a lot of times that's a hard pill to swallow. And especially you're saying, I, I want, I, you know, this is kind of like a baby or child that I've seen grow. So how did you come to that realization or what was that process for you? Yeah. So um, I would say that I, I listened to past Aubrey. And so this is my strategy. Uh, we all have our own, um, also a therapist, just always as my general recommendation, like take that stuff to a professional. But so when I walked into Atlassian in the first month, I actually wrote down five metrics I wanted to hit. And I called them my five-year metrics. Like in five years, Atlassian, these things are going to be true. And it was um, representation of women in technical roles, women in engineering, um, Black, Latin, and Indigenous folks in technical roles, uh, women in leadership, and then a specific um, metric around uh, attrition for women in engineering, where I wanted those numbers to go based on where they were. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a set of metrics that at the end of every fiscal year, I looked at. And I said, like, how close are we to these? These weren't the official reporting metrics. Like, this was for me and, like, my personal leadership reflection. And in sort of June, which was the end of, of the fiscal year of year four, when I was there, when I did my checkup, I realized we had hit every metric a year before I had written down the goal. And so, and I didn't even realize it because there was so much going on and it, it's such a dynamic company. And that for me, I, I said, okay, you did the thing that you said you were going to come here to do. So now the question is, what's the next? And then I asked myself, what's the next thing I want to do? Um, and my answer was work more deeply on product, work at a higher, like a click up in terms of scale. And then I went back and, and I sort of looked at Atlassian and I said, is this the place that gets me that thing? Mm. And I landed on no, not because the company wasn't great, but just because where I wanted to go ended up diverging. And so I stayed, you know, for another quarter to kind of get the year kicked off and, and everything. So I felt like I part of, for me, the moving on was actually that, that quarter that I stayed after um, to sort of, you know, give myself the space and time, not only to process my own leaving, but also to wrap it up so I didn't feel like I was just dropping the baby, if we're going to go with your metaphor, which sounds a little weird linguistically, but hopefully emotionally people recommended. <laughs> no, I, I, I get the metaphor. It makes sense to me. So, um, so as you did that and you decide, okay, we're kind of taking diverging paths or the path that I want to take diverges from where they're headed. It doesn't, you know, now I want to go out, accomplish new things, take a different direction, get back into startups, get back into investing. So made that jump, made that transition. How's it gone so far? Or how's that our journey to air been for you? Yeah. Can you say that one more time? Your sound cut out just a moment. <laughs> sure. This, this, this is uh, pandemic life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
No, I was saying, so as you, you see, you, you made the decision, okay, I'm, I'm going to make that shift. I'm going to go in a different direction. This is where I want to head after I cut or accomplish all my goals. And you started to get more into startups, started to get more into investing and kind of go back in that direction. How has that gone for you? Has it gone great? Been it's, perfect? Has it been a tough slog or how has that gone, kind of gone for you? Yeah, um, so I love it. Um, I see like my investing work. So startup wise, um, I like go to work every day and I'm just like, thank goodness I got the job at Um, Like I have the coolest, kindest coworkers I've ever had in my life. And I already felt like I had a really high bar. Mm. Um, so I think the thing about Culture Amp that's so incredible for me is that it's like the people who think about data and like human experience all day. And mm. Um, you know, to have, to have a place where you walk in and you have your technical leaders ha who already have their own articulated philosophies on organizational justice and like how that relates to technical products is right. Like I am expanding and I'm getting to learn so much um, from my peers. And, and so that's amazing for me. And I was lucky to sort of catch, uh, you know, sort of catch the ball from, from Culture Amp's first head of diversity and inclusion. Um, so that was amazing. And the, the culture, there was so much foundation built. So it was a different experience than a build from scratch where there was a lot already built, but now it's about what does it look like to scale it? Because, you know, Culture Amp had been a smaller company. So that's yeah. great. And then the, the investing, honestly, I love it because, you know, trying to make, you know, money for brown folks in capitalism is a great goal anyway but for me getting to work with founders it, it's such a, a special sort of mindset of person who can envision the future and then has the audacity to demand that it's built hmm. um i get so much inspiration from the founders that i talk to whether i know you know something deeply about their business model or not and like it's hard to not be in awe of the privilege of having the opportunity to contribute in some way to people that are just trying to make a world that's the one that we all deserve rather than the one we're saddled with at the moment. So that for me is just luck. And, you know, often it's just jumping on a Zoom call for 30 minutes, but suddenly, you know, my mind's expanded to what's possible and I get to sort of cheer from the sidelines um, in many cases, or when I'm on the cap table, very much not the sidelines. Um, and, and so and so that's it for me is like, I get a lot of energy and joy out of seeing other people bring what they're supposed to bring into the world. So yeah, I get to do that all day. Like who gets to say that that's like their dream job is they get to create the stuff they wish existed. <laughs> hey, that, that sounds like a dream job to me. That's always a fun job to have. So now for you to take, so that kind of brings us up to where you're at today. Nick, take the next six months to a year, kind of where do you see things heading? Where's the, what's the goals or, or where do you, what's the, what's the, what do you want to achieve in, the, in those next six yeah. years? So um, what do I want to achieve? I think the, the two big projects, um, or I think it would be remiss of me not to sort of name that we're in this, this huge cultural shift um, mm. right now. And the way that I describe it to folks who aren't in the industry is it's like, we've suddenly gotten the permission to stop calling it unconscious bias and just talk about racism. <laughs> And it turns out it's a lot easier to solve when we, you know, when we describe a thing as, as what it is, because then we can go, and here's another option. Let's do the other option. Mm -hmm. and, and so really my, my six month plan, and for folks who want to check it out and keep me honest, I'm big on transparency and accountability is 
Um, you can check out the plan that, that um, I worked on with, with my peers at CultureAmp, but cultureamp.com slash anti-racism. So we as a business have, have put a big stake in the ground. Um, we're white founded, white led um, to say that we have a lot of work to do to evolve as an anti-racist organization. So a lot of the back half of my year is uh, intensive coaching with each of our executives, uh, working with our managers and HR leaders to help them deeply personally own and drive anti-racism within their, their lives and their work practices. Um, and there's a whole lot of programs in between those things that I haven't gotten to. You can check them out online. Um, but so really delivering on that plan and not just delivering the plan, but making sure that those programs have the impact we intended, mm. uh, which is creating more racial justice at CultureAmp. That's sort of my North Star. Um, and I have, I should say I, as if there are not hundreds of people who are sprinting right alongside me to get it done, right? It's always a team effort. Mm. Um, and then the secondary piece is um, making some, some uh, bigger moves in terms of investment in startups. So there's a couple of startups um, that I'm working really deeply on that I'm really, really excited about um, in terms of where they're at. So going deep with a couple of underrepresented founders to help them hit that next sort of uh, uh, moment in their growth trajectory, if you will. Uh, so keeping my fingers crossed that I can provide as much value and we can, we can see them sort of hit the exit velocity that, um, that quite frankly, only people from a certain group in this industry tend to get to. Okay. No, I, I, that sounds like a, a great, uh, great uh, next six to 12 months in front of you. And I think that there's a lot of great things to accomplish. So well, as we get towards the end of the podcast, and I always uh, ask two questions at the end, so maybe we'll jump to those now and talk about those for a couple minutes. So the yeah. first question I always ask is, um, what's the worst business decision you ever made? Oh, that's so good. Um, oh, uh, not hiring like a brilliant biz ops manager. Mm. So if you're listening, I'm hiring. Um, no, uh, so in the math path, I think um, like that's not my forte. I'm not amazing at it. And I, I uh, with my side business, I, I feel like I'm always a step behind on like the basic biz ops um, mm. stuff internally. And I, I think uh, I didn't properly understand and value like the skill and expertise that that brings to the business um, or how much of like a, a truly specialized bit of knowledge it is to do it really well. Um, so that was naivete on my part, having not done that. Hmm. I'm grateful for the learning, um, but definitely something that I, I sunk a lot of not very smart time and capacity into setup that I could have outsourced to someone who was brilliant. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, supported them and helping them learn and grow. Um, so next time we'll get there. All right. No, and I think that's, that's an easy one. I, I think it's, if you're a startup or an entrepreneur or love startups and small businesses, first of all, you always, you're working against yourself in the, in the fact that at least a lot of people and myself are absolutely included that you think you can do everything and do everything better than everybody else. And so oftentimes rather than things that you should hand off for people, you could come in, that would be an expert or that you could offload to, you tend to either study it out, do it yourself or not ha or hand that off. And I think that that sometimes can keep the business from growing as quickly or you don't get it done as well. And even on the off chance that you can do everything, which nobody can do everything. The other problem is you never have enough time in the day to get everything done. Yeah, exactly. And again, you know, thinking about, and, and that probably goes back to like the general leadership failure, which is like control freak tendencies, right? We tend to get there that way. And then you have to learn the lesson of like, stop, there are people better than you, trust them. Um, and that's a good lesson to hold on to. 
So, all right. So now we'll jump to the second question. So the second question I always ask. So if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or small business, just starting out, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Uh, don't believe all the crap rules they tell you. Most of it's made up. Ask for whatever you want. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, my job title is head of equitable design, which was not the job that they were hiring for. Um, mm. I have a history of like literally making up my own job. Uh, mm. and, and I think that's the thing about tech is, is it calls itself very innovative, but it's actually a very risk averse industry. Mm. Um, and so, and so one of the lessons that I've learned is that there's a lot of facades about what is possible and what you're told is possible. But if you can punch through that, hopefully non-violently, um, that uh, if you can punch through that and just say, here's what I want. Um, I have found more often than not, you'll bring, you'll bring folks to you that want to give you that thing or share that vision. Um, but you un are unlikely to get it if you don't state that that's what you want. So that's what I'd say. Say it, and if they say no, move on and ask again. I've been told no more times than I could possibly count. <laughs> Okay, now and you kind of answered the, que the follow-up question I was going to ask is the question, you know, let's say I hire X person for exposition and then they start to come and say, well, I'd like to do this or I'd like to have, you know, make your own position. How does oh, yeah. it get to where they're saying, no, I hired you for this, go do this. And yeah, how do you, you make do it on the way in? So, uh, right, it's got to be full consent all the way, which is, um, which is basically, and Bless Didier uh, Elzinga, the Caltrans CEO, for tolerating me as a candidate. But I basically said, I hate diversity and inclusion. I want equitable design and impact. And here's how the job is different than what you expect. What do you think? Mm. And we actually had a really great discussion about his vision for the role, what he wanted with the company, my goals, and what I wanted to do. And so even though I didn't get exactly what I initially laid out, we came to this agreement point, but it was actually a really constructive discussion that was more interesting than him just asking me about stuff I had done. Um, and so I think that's the other thing is even when you don't get 100% of what you want, there's a lot that you can gain and learn from going in and being really clear about what your expectations are. All right. No, I think that makes perfect sense. So well, as we wrap up, if people want to get or get in contact with you, want to learn more, want to get advice or anything of the, any of the above, what's the best way to reach out or connect with you? Yeah, two best ways. Um, check out AubreyBlanche.com. Um, hello at Aubrey Blanche if you want to get uh, quick. Or I'm on Twitter at ADBlanche. I like to call it my digital soapbox. Uh, so come say hi. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I certainly in, uh, invite everybody to uh, go, go there, check you out, connect up with any questions or anything that uh, check out Culture Amp and everything you're doing there. And uh, then certainly for everybody that uh, anybody that's a listener that has a great journey to tell, that would like to come on, certainly feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com and uh, apply to be a guest. And then if you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you can get uh, this episode and all the new episodes as they come out. And lastly, if you have any um, patents or trademarks you're needing help with, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law and we're always here to help. Aubrey, it's been fun to have you on. It's been a great episode and appreciate uh, your time and, uh, and wish you the next uh, leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much. I love this. Uh, excited to chat again soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks.